0: Show me the money. This is the Moneyweb Be a Better Investor
1: Podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake
0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Be A Better Investor podcast. My name is Rijk van Nikark, and in this podcast series I speak to finance and investment professionals about their investment journeys and why they chose a career in managing other people's money. We also discuss how they manage their own money and the idea is to find a few nuggets of wisdom to assist amateur retail investors in becoming better investors. My guest today is Howell George. He is the Director of Investments at Old Mutual. He has been in the asset management business for 35 years. He started as a fund manager at Mercury Asset Management in the late 1980s. He then headed offshore and had stints at Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Public Equity. He returned to South Africa in 2009 and joined Integral Asset Management before moving to Old Mutual in 2013. Howell, thank you so much for your time today. Give us a bit of background about yourself. Where did you grow up and when were you first exposed to the investment world?
1: Thanks for having me on and good to chat. Yeah, so I was born in 1967 in a place called Swansea in South Wales, very far away from any kind of stock exchange. And at about the age of 13, I became somewhat fascinated by the world my father was in, which was actually a sales director of Bruce Steel, selling steel to clients. But the whole area of business fascinated me. And so I went on to study economics at Bristol University, 85 to 88. Loved that. And then kind of thought about, you know, how you could kind of parlay that knowledge, I guess, on economics and how the world might work into to make money out of it, I guess, for me and for clients. The name for that career was turned out to be Fund Management. And once i found out the name and, and who to apply to, I applied and, and kind of got into the, the fund management or money
0: management game. So it started actually not by chance, but things had to happen for you to enter this industry. You didn't just know when you were still at school that, you know, I want to be in the investment world. No, it very early days
1: in those days for the industry as well, quite honestly. So in terms of finding what this thing was called where you took whatever knowledge you had and kind of made it into a money-making enterprise. The name for it was quite early in terms of being fund management, because then it was merchant banking, there was kind of sell-side research, and then, I say, fund management. So it took a while to find it, but I kind of knew in my heart what I wanted to do. And then I applied to 50 firms, 5.0, got interviewed with three of them, (laughs) and got one job offer. So you have to have some degree of perseverance, because I got refused by 47 firms. So you have to have some degree of fortitude to get into this game. It's hard to get into. It's harder today than then, I will also say. You have to want to do it to be, I think, in any way successful.
0: What was your very first investment? Gosh, there's a question.
1: I'm going to say that it was a very small oil company called Tullow Oil. T-U-L-L-O-W Oil. It's actually since become, I must say, very successful. This was 35 years ago. It was a small exploration production company with um, fields in Africa. And it was just kind of exotic and small and with a lot of upside. And and I'm happy to say it did go up. So I got kind of lucky in that way quite early on.
0: I think Tallo is still around and they developed significant oil fields, I think, in Nigeria, if if my memory serves me right. Let's start about your investment journey. How did you formulate an investment strategy? And uh, especially in the early days, how did you go about building a portfolio to set off on your wealth creation journey. And I'm talking about your personal capacity, not as a professional investor where you manage other people's money for their retirement. Yeah, so
1: I mean, it's all informed, I think in that sense, from one's professional experience because you are learning how to manage money for clients and therefore for yourself. And when I joined Mercury Asset Management, they were running about $10 billion at the time. It then grew over the next 10 years to run $100 billion. It was very successful, very little to do with me, but I was on the bus. And it was very much learning on the job. There was very little training in those days. I mean, these days people do CFAs and such like, lots of courses, and it's great. But it was learning by osmosis, you know, on the desk, listening to how other people did it, learning how to construct a diversified portfolio sensibly across sectors and across names, across risk profiles. I was running UK equity portfolios at the time. I mean, they were growing so fast that within 18 months, I was given about half a billion dollars to run in UK equities. And just totally get on with it. It was a little bit extraordinary because I was very young. But you learned very quickly from your mistakes in that environment. And you got very close to the market. And a feel for the market, I think, is so important, you know, and aligned to the passion for the markets. You know, that's what sees you through and, and hopefully gives you some degree of success. So it was on the job, learning from some amazing investment professionals, you know, the core principles.
0: I'm looking at a graph of the S&P 500 and it seems like that period was actually not a bad one. We saw significant you know, growth in stock markets. Do you think it was easier to make money in equity markets specifically compared to today? It
1: was a great time for the market. 1988 through 1999 was, was an amazing time for the stock market. And, and, it, and it did very well. So that definitely helps one's kind of success quotient. I mean, however, we were paid to outperform the market, not just be in it. So we did have to generate you know, alpha compared to the market. So in that sense, the, the job was very similar to today. I would say it was easier then because it, the markets were much more inefficient. So institutional investors would have been gee, about 15% of the stock market at that point. So professionals, 15 a lot of retail investors. And today, institutional investors or professional investors would be more like 85% of the market. So... You know, professionals around more inefficiencies, smaller cap names were kind of favored and you could invest sensibly in those, which by their nature are generally more inefficient, less kind of sell-side broker coverage of those names. So the inefficiencies were bigger and there was less competition for success. So I will confess it was easier then than it is today.
0: The world has changed, but has the way professional investors value companies changed? Because currently... There is a lot of focus on top-down or bottom-up type of analyses, really, really going through financial statements with a magnifying glass, and then still professional investors on average get 4 out of 10 investments wrong. That's a bit of an interesting, I don't know if it's a dilemma, but it shows you how difficult it actually is to make money, and decent money on the markets today.
1: Yes, it's extraordinarily difficult. And as professional fundamental investors... I mean, the core principles haven't changed in terms of how you would go about assessing a company and its prospects and how to value that company. We can get into that if you'd like to. But the core principles are the same in terms of the kind of ways of outperforming the market. Those have kind of multiplied. So the market now can tend to be dominated by trends and momentum. And that's partly because there are so many quantitative, not fundamental investors and quant investors tend to follow trends. So the money flows into things which are being currently successful and therefore they become more successful. And you tend to get, therefore, extremes of valuation. So companies can become more expensive than they would have done in, I guess, my day 30 years ago, in the early days. And therefore, your means of outperforming the market are multiplied. So you can be fundamental investor in a great company, which is cheap, and it could remain cheap for years on end because the inefficiencies are elsewhere in momentum trading investing. So Quant has become a much bigger thing, and machines have become a bigger thing, high frequency trading become a bigger thing. So you may be right, but in terms of outperforming the market, you can be wrong for a very long time. So it's very tricky today.
0: Do you think AI or artificial intelligence will change the investment industry, especially from the perspective of retail investors?
1: Yes, and that's happening already, and, you know. AI is a continuum. I've talked about machines and quantitative investing. To give you an idea in old mutual today, I mean, we've spent the last few years just hiring experts in coding. As I a mean, new hires, we don't hire such fundamental investors anymore because you have to have those quantitative skills. So, I mean, AI is, is already where this is and it's going to get more and more prevalent and smarter. So you can see a time when you know, the equivalent of chat GPT takes market dynamics, interprets them and invests your money. And it may well do it quite successfully, you know, and that's very removed or can be very removed from kind of the human view of the market. It's going to become more challenging. And the other thing I should say, I've said that, you know, the prevalence of institutional investors in the market has increased from 15 percent to 80 percent. What that's also meant is that institutional investors have become the market. So almost by definition, your average professional investor is only going to Track the index kind of at best, after cost, they're going to lag the market. So, for the average professional investor to outperform the market is extremely difficult. So, you've got to pick the right ones to have that chance to outperform, be that fundamental investors or quantitative investors.
0: Now, it's going to be an interesting change in the industry if AI or quantitative type of analysis can improve the success rate. For asset managers, because then some companies will be in higher demand than others, just because the computer says, listen, that share is going to go up and it's more likely to increase in value than another share. That will change the dynamics of the whole industry. Are you concerned about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, as it is already, and I would be concerned about that. And in this sense, success breeds success. Because the more machines buy something because it's going up, the more it's going to go up. and Therefore, the more the machines buy the thing which is going up. So, at some point, you're going to get such an extreme evaluation. I mean, take a stock like NVIDIA right now. They make the graphics processing units, the GPU chips, which power AI. They're dominant in that market. They used to be dominant in the gaming, these are gaming chips. Now they're used for AI. They're dominant in that market. Fantastic company, wonderful story. AI is a wonderful story. NVIDIA is a great company. But, NVIDIA trades on 230 times price earnings ratio. So 230 times PE. I mean, the market trades on 20 times. So that's an extreme evaluation right now. And that's partly because the machine's have been chasing it, because it's the latest trend. So at some point, you know, the elastic snaps back. And kind of the fundamental guys have their moment in the sun again.
0: We digress a bit. I want to take you back to retail investing Let's talk about your portfolio. Do you have a discretionary personal portfolio, maybe in addition to a pension fund, etc., or formal retirement type of savings, which you run on the side? Do you have one?
1: Yes, I would say various pots. Certainly a core one would be one's pension fund, which is obviously very important. And then alongside that, I would have my personal investing pot, which is related to what I do as a job, which is, you know, vested, unvested holdings and stock, And then thirdly, the one you'd be referring to would be a more discretionary savings pool, which I invest on a personal basis in various hopefully interesting smaller companies and some macro calls, and we can happily get into that if you'd like to.
0: Yes, I would like to talk about those smaller companies you refer to. Tell us about that discretionary portfolio. What is your thinking? What is your strategy behind it?
1: Firstly, the disclaimer, (laughs) which is that for Everyone, I'm going to say everyone, the most sensible way to invest is in a well-diversified, what we'd call a balanced or multi-asset portfolio, ideally run by a professional firm of some kind. So a sensible mix of equities, bonds, cash and other. Hold that for the long term. You're always going to be fine. Okay, That's the absolute (laughs) bedrock of what we're talking about. So in terms of my particular, what I call a side pocket of investment, outside of that, if you want to have a little bit of, can I call it, fun in the markets and interest in the markets, currently, I am very much in actually more the value camp than the tech camp, and the smaller names I would have would be in the commodities area of the market, be it gold, which I think will continue to do well, or the gold miners, or silver, which again, I think will do well, and things like uranium or rare earths which given the green economy and given the move to nuclear power, uranium, I think, will do well. And that's in short supply right now. And rare earths, I think, will continue to do well because they do power the green economy. And that's kind of a longer term kind of commodity based view. Because I think the world is short of commodities. and We may be in for a kind of a super cycle in the commodities area and precious metals.
0: Platinum and platinum group metals, that is uh, absent from your list.
1: Yeah, I haven't really gone in. I know it's a very popular South African uh, sector and that's totally fine. It hasn't been a focus of mine. I prefer the slightly more, can I say esoteric? I mean, I think uranium is a very good story. So that's kind of a position of mine. So platinum, I haven't got
0: into yet, Now, Now, I looked at Impala Platinum last night. They have a a forward-looking PE of 2.3 times. And as you said earlier, if you are looking for cheap shares, the JSE is maybe a a good port of call. What would your advice be to young investors? I'm talking here about a typical 23-year-old professional individual who wants to enter the market, they want to have fun, as you've said it, you know, in addition to formal retirement savings. What would your advice be to them and what pitfalls do you think they need to avoid?
1: There's combinations here. I mean, firstly, you have to have an interest in and a passion for stock markets or bond markets. The way the world plays out through a share price instrument or an index level you know, the reflection of the world's dynamics in that kind of clearing price, I've always found fascinating. But you need to find that fascinating. (laughs) You need to find the gold price fascinating and everything which informs that price. So make sure that's the case, because if you haven't got the passion, it's a tough game. And, you know, you're going to lose a lot of the time, you're going to win some of the time. To keep going, you have to have that core passion. So that's the one thing. The second one is, of course, hard work in terms of one's basic tools of analysis in terms of how to analyze a company, how to analyze a profit and loss account, a balance sheet, a cash flow statement, all the principles of discounted cash flow or analysis of price-earnings ratios or EBITDAs, all these things, which are the bedrock of what we do, requires a lot of work and a lot of understanding. The third thing would be you have to maintain an intense curiosity about the world and what drives these things. And that curiosity is fed by... The final thing, which is that you've got to, at that age and all ages, including mine, read, read, read and read all the time, be it finance books, be it biographies, be it history, be it economic history, be it the Financial Times, be it The Economist. The list goes on and on. The more you read, the more your curiosity is fed and the better your insights with the information you've got.
0: Now, I think that is sound advice. It's also a perpetual theme On this podcast, the more you read, the more you know. The more you know, the more successful you'll be. I think it's a recipe not only for investments, but in any part of your life. But what has been the best investment you have ever made, the one you are the most proud of?
1: (laughs) That's a tough one. I could tell you about some disasters as well.
0: I'm going to ask you about that just now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll
1: give you one of each. There was a wonderful company called Biocompatibles which had a revolutionary kind of coating technology. They actually took the coatings which they used to protect the hulls of ships from barnacles and used it to coat the ventricles around the heart. And it became the core of what is stent technology. So if you've got a a blockage, which may cause a heart attack through cholesterol, etc., they can now put a stent in, which opens up your blood vessel, prevents that blockage or removes it. But the body would always reject the stent because it doesn't like artificial things in it. But the body will accept it with this coating technology, which biocompatibles came up with from the hulls of ships, extraordinary thing. And that went up tenfold and made a lot of money for me. And that was a wonderful investment. Having done the requisite work (laughs) and, you know, hopefully timed the the valuation call correctly. The flip side, which is where timing comes in, was also a wonderful technology where you would scan a... Well, in those days, it was the fax, the facsimile. They <laughs> used to send faxes to each other. And you'd send the fax to, say, Tokyo, and the, the kind of scan code would come out the other side. You'd scan it in Tokyo, and you'd get some information off it. It's like the Snap scan today in South Africa. So we scan these things all the time now. And this thing was a complete failure because it was way too early. <laughs> this was kind of 1995, and no one knew how to use it because they didn't have mobile phones, and it was a fax machine. So the technology was phenomenal. But it was a decade too early. So that one promptly went to zero. (laughs) So you lost all your money. So you've got to get your timing right. When you see an amazing thing, the timing's got to be there as well. Just too early.
0: I will thank you so much for your time and for your insights. And hopefully there are a few people who would listen to this and listen to sound advice. Just don't go in and buy all the penny stocks. And then uh, use, I think, the worst investment strategy, and that is hope, to try and you know, build a legacy. But thanks so much for your time. Pleasure.
1: Great start.
0: That was Highwell George. He's the Director of Investments at Old Mutual. Show me the money. That was the MoneyWeb. Be a
1: Better Investor podcast with Rake for NECAP. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the MoneyWeb podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.